Afuera ahora es un campo de batalla y mi cuerpo se ha convertido en trinchera. Salgo a la calle y me ataca. Hola, hello Cubo. My name is Raquel Serrano. I'm the host for this episode and I choose to challenge the war against women in Latin America. Hello everyone, my name is Ana. Uh, I'm from Ecuador and I'm now currently studying at U of T and genetics and gender, uh, studies of gender and women. And uh, no es una, somos muchas. Hi, I'm Danae. I am from Mexico. I am currently studying neuroscience and physiology at U of T. And um, quiero ser libre no valiente. Hi everyone, my name is Andrea Cáceres. I'm a second year student At U of T, I'm doing a double major in human geography and diaspora and transnational studies. Y ser mujer independiente en Perú no me hace terrorista. Hi everyone, my name is Anna. I'm a third year student in political science and in international relations. I'm from Brazil and no me calo. Welcome. I'm so happy you're here with us today. This episode is so special for us as we're going to talk about our experiences as Latinas in Toronto. And to start us off, I would like to ask you all, what were your, what were your initial experiences as a Latina in Toronto? Well, I, I guess I'm going to start giving some of my insights. Uh, when, when the first thing that I thought when I arrived to Toronto is this feeling of, of being safe, which is kind of weird being a woman in Latin America, which I was constantly looking out if someone was looking at me, looking at what I was wearing, being safe when I was walking around, always walking with friends and... It was very strange being in an environment where everyone told you, like, don't worry, you're safe. And for me, it was kind of hard to take that mentality to, to be looking around, just in case anyone wants to do something with, um, to me because we are women. Experience with that. Like, when I first arrived, I also felt a lot safer than I felt back in Sao Paulo. But my roommate at the time told me to never go across Queen's Park past midnight. And I thought that was very strange um, because I've never heard of any urban violence in Toronto until I got here. And then I asked friends about that and they said she was exaggerating and overthinking it. And granted, most of them were male friends. It turned out to like nothing ever happened to me when I crossed Queen's Park past midnight. But it should have been a sign that it's not all rosy tinted in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, I had um, the, the same like experience where I came here and I think I felt overly safe. And so I would do things that like were not actually safe because I thought like, oh, I'm okay. Um, and the same with Queen's Park. I would always cross it at night and then be like, oh, it's fine. But then little by little, like I, I started like feeling more unsafe and unsafe to the point where it was like I cannot like walk by myself at night at all or like even if it's just one block down it was like it's not even if it's better it's not safe and it's true that happens to me as well when I first arrived here to Canada I feel much free to do whatever I want and uh, whenever I want especially uh, if I want to go outside at night I could uh I heard the experiences from other women and letting my my classmates and like my friends in residence like it's fine you can go walk um, and nothing's gonna happen to you uh, luckily or in the majority of cases and I feel like that at the beginning uh, but I now I see that um, as the time passes uh, I've been also uh, I've been feeling the same not exactly the same but similar to how I feel back in Ecuador. And now I'm more aware or 
uh, where I am, like if, if I uh, go with the TTC or if I'm outside, I'm just more aware. It's not the same as the first time I, I came. I totally agree. I So I'm back in, in Quito for this semester and I do feel that there is more, that I'm at, at a higher risk here than in Canada, but it's still something that makes me, um, or that makes me be more conscious about my surroundings and always checking who else is in the same room. Uh, if I'm walking by myself, like who, who's, if someone is following me. And I do think that has like influenced how we enjoy doing things by ourselves. Like if you go for a run, if you go for a walk, then you're like always uh, having to think about the risk that not everyone has to really pay attention to all the challenges or all the things that might affect you. So with that being said, what were so, some of the challenges or, that you face as a Latina in Toronto? Maybe regarding like the stereotypes that our classmates had about us or maybe the preconceived notions about um, that they had about Latin American people, about Latin America, and how did you deal with all those situations? I think that it's a very important question. I think that one of the main, I think main obstacles um, going into going to Canada was that maybe in Peru I didn't didn't face all of the stereotypes of Latinas because although all he, we are all here Latinas, we face different type of discriminations. But for me, sometimes my progressions uh, around Latinas being exotic or being sexualized at first I kind of didn't understood. Um, if, if what they were telling to me about my accent or about my my hobbies because I like salsa, telling me exotic. At first, I didn't know how to react because it was kind of the first time that someone was saying that to my face. So I I do have to be honest. It, my first year at university, it was getting all of these comments and me trying to understand how to respond because as I also have notions that as a woman. Maybe just don't talk too loud. Maybe just just don't respond because you're gonna uh, be like give a, a bad impression to your male counterparts or male students or even women students in in Toronto. So it was kind of a inside battle of whether I make friends and forget all of those microaggressions or I speak up in my first year and try and have this constant barrier. So for me, it was very it was very difficult to to approach these kinds of microaggressions that for me were so new. I don't know, guys, if you faced kind of a similar experience. To be honest, uh, I think one thing that was very different for me is that previous to coming to Canada, I didn't recognize myself as being Latina, which is a very common thing in Brazil because we associate Latin American with being Hispanic and speaking Spanish and having that shared heritage of Spanish colonization. And then coming here and being called Latina, I started more and more uh, identifying myself with our region and our shared cultures. And unfortunately, largely because of the stereotypes, I was just put together with all the negative stereotypes and weird, awkward situations where people are like, oh, you're from Brazil? That's so exotic. And thinking that was a compliment. I was like, I'm sorry, but that's something you say about a bird. I'm not. <laughs> not an animal thank you and and then they were surprised to find out that that was something negative to say and i find that a lot of my colleagues just don't know a lot about latin america like at all not even negative stereotypes that's so true 
don't know about us, and that's like we're not even neighbors. <laughs> it's anyways.、Um, I still don't know a good way to react when people make weird comments about, you know, being Latina. I think that there are like different factors、um, playing. We're playing together when, especially at the beginning, because、uh, we are trying to adapt、uh, to a new country and to a new language, and also we are trying to understand the different social dynamics that are, are happens here in Canada, and they're not similar to our country or or to Latin America.、Um, so that's why I think it's, it's sometimes difficult to 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 react. To, you don't know how to say. You don't know.、Uh, um, If that's okay to say or not, at the beginning, I remember,、um, I remember being happy that people ask me、uh, where I'm from, and I can、um, talk about Ecuador and、um, educate them a little bit about、uh, my country and Latin America. Because, as you said, Anna, people sometimes don't really know about Latin America or、um, a small country like Ecuador. They wouldn't even know where is it. Or they will thought that it's in another continent, and so I like at the beginning the part of、uh, it's okay that you don't know. I can explain you, and I can, and you can try to understand and maybe learn about yourself、uh, later.、Um, but when it it gets repeated、um, with the time, like a lot of people, even think like if that is、uh, what you what you have to do is to teach them or not or or what you have to expect、uh, from them as well. Yeah, I think that like. I have a different like experience coming here because I lived in the U.S., so I had to really like encounter those like microaggressions. But I think because I encountered them when I was young, I just normalized them, and I was like, "Yeah, like okay." And like I didn't realize until coming here where like there isn't as much representation of、um, Latin Americans compared to the U.S., especially in Texas. That like it was really hurtful because I was standing alone in it, and then when people would be like surprised by the fact that I am Latina or they said that I was from Mexico, because like my accent wasn't thick or things like that, and I was trying to like kind of hide it because like people would just comment on it. Then I was like, at first I was like, okay, like it's fine, but then I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> And I think the way that I've tried to handle that is like making, like being real to myself and being like, yeah, this is who I am. Like, this is the clothes I wear. This is the jewelry that I wear. This is where I'm from, and like, I'm proud of it. And like, you can say whatever, but like, you have to respect everything that I do as well. Yeah, something that I also found very surprising, just to、uh, finish this topic,、um, even the most, or you know, self. Self-called progressive、uh, Canadians, like you know, people who vote for the Green Party and believe in equal rights and so on, and you know, they they know the script and they know、um, what they're supposed to be saying to be a progressive. Even those people, especially men, are completely unaware of like Latina issues to the point of saying or calling. A female partner, a spicy senorita, and not realizing how aggressive that is, and like how offensive that can be. I just, I was very surprised that progressiveness has very different meanings in Canada and in Brazil. That's so true, and I do think it's a process because you don't go from 
being shocked after someone tells you that you're spicy or you're exotic to celebrating your culture and empowering other women like it it's a long process for you to to go through and understanding and it also gets complicated when you start um, internalizing all these stereotypes um, internalizing all the societal expectations that we have when we are back home um, internalizing all those norms and things that people think about Latin Americans and then you're like in this point where if being Latina means that I'm exotic for a lot of people and where I can't celebrate the cult my culture the way I want to, then how can I really engage with my culture and celebrate my culture without, or how can I do all these while at the same time trying to fit in the society that we are living in, that it's Canada, it's Toronto, it's being part of the University of Toronto, like the community of the, of the university. And I think that has a lot of, um, consequences regarding our mental health and how this internalization, this process that we have to go through to uh, feel empowered and celebrate our culture, how all these stereotypes affect our mental health. So that's something that people need to, to consider that when they call us exotic or when they have all these expectations about us and then when we don't meet those expectations, like for example, a Latina that doesn't know how to dance, like that's that's fine, like it's not a big deal and things like that. So just knowing that there are some things that are not okay to say and it's for sure hard to know what, how to respond then and what to say about that. So I know that Danae and Anna are part of the STEM fields at U of T. And I was wondering, how do you see the STEM fields at U of T for Latin American women? Do you feel settled in your program of study? What were your experiences as a Latina in like your STEM classes? And yeah. I was thinking about my experience in STEM, but I didn't want to focus only in uh, my experience here at U of T, but uh, previously when I was in high school and I started to think about maybe I want to study uh, biology or something related to it. And then um, when I just came here um, and went to first year, I realized the difference in knowledge that I had uh, compared to my uh, classmates. Um, obviously, different factors are playing there as well. Like we are from different countries, and the high school, of course, was very different from the high schools here in Canada. But I realized that um, even if I compare high schools in, in my city, I've seen how the I don't know if the, this is the mentality of Ecuador of uh, Latin America how there is lack of support uh, uh, to women that wants to study uh, to study science or uh, something related uh, to it. It's just, um, because for example, we have some opportunities to go to different uh, cities and like to go to, uh, um, to learn more from uh, universities or uh, like different resources there in Ecuador. And even I, I could see that my male friends from other high schools, they had the chance to go there and experience that, but I couldn't because uh, of my high school and like that mentality that no, it's, it's, it's better for you to just stay here. And then if um, I think that's just a limitation for me when I came here to Canada and then go to first year and see the difference that, for example, in my labs, uh, labs of first year, uh, I could see uh, how most of the labs that we did, um, my classmates already did that in their high school and they knew uh, most of the stuff. And 
I could feel like a limitation that I didn't know enough and, and maybe I wouldn't have the same possibilities or you know, chances to to learn more of like it was just hard work for me um, but in the coming years I, I learned I see that it's it's okay if you didn't have that background you can still learn and and you can uh, participate in classes and like get the, all the knowledge that you want and like feel at the same level are your classmates and re relating like uh, my experience as, uh, as women in Latin women in, in STEM and D of T I don't see that representation in 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 our in our classrooms. I met I think one or two Latinas in uh, throughout my um, my education. I mean, last year right now, and yes, and and I don't know. Maybe there are more. It's just we don't we don't. I I don't know what's like exactly the problem. We don't. Uh, present ourselves as Latinas, so we don't have that chance, or we don't create those spaces where we can go and and talk about our experiences as Latinas in the STEM, in a, in a STEM. But um, yeah, I think that there's more to do there to actually like call up women, all the Latina women there, that you can be together and work together, and like it's it's like it's time for us to to work together. Yeah, I have a question actually for the two people in STEM, do you find that you have female profs or enough female profs? Uh, because I was just talking to my roommate the other day, in political science I had a great total of two female profs in three years of my degree. So I was just wondering if um, STEM is different in that respect. I think um, we do have quite like a bit of, of female profs. I think maybe not 50-50, but like pretty close. And that's something I actually noticed because um, I was thinking back on my professors in STEM and I realized that there was representation in terms of gender, but not in terms of like Latin American professors. And I, have, I haven't had a single professor who identifies as Latin American so far in STEM. And I remember going through the whole, um, like faculty list and uh, the department of um, physiology and just trying to look for a name that seemed like Latin American to try to find I and also see. <laughs> yeah, and I was like, because I want to meet like people who come from um, Latin America and who are scientists and leading scientists. But so far, like I haven't found any. And I think that those show like in terms of like the STEM field because like I remember telling uh, a peer in one of my tutorials for neuroscience and um, when he asked me like, where are you from? And I said, Mexico, he kind of looked at me like, oh, and then he was like, oh, like you're from Mexico, but like you grew up here. And I was like, no, like I am from Mexico. Like I was born and bred there. And I think it's because for them, it's kind of like unconceivable to think that somebody from Latin America can be like smart, in like terms of like science or like just like very like successful or something like because they, I think they they don't associate technology or like like progressiveness in Latin America and I think that's something I've seen a lot in like people in my classes that they just don't think that there's any science in Latin America. Sadly, I think yeah. that happens in so many departments at U of T, though. Yeah. Like with Ana Acosta, we were we were planning a panel discussion 
uh, that's going to take place next Wednesday. And we were looking for professors that with a Latinx background. And we were also looking for professors just like with a Spanish name, because sometimes like that's the only way for you to find like Latinx professors. So we were looking for them and we couldn't find more than one or two. And that's surprising. I'm part of the Women and Gender Studies program and we don't have uh, a professor from Latin America. You see that when you're going through the faculty list, you see representation from different continents, or different countries, but I couldn't find any for Latin America. So it's surprising that we don't have that representation in Women and Gender Studies in the Political Science Department. Although there's a professor, Marta Balaguer, she's part of the Political Science Department, but in so many other departments in humanities and social sciences, you don't really see Latin American professors. And if you yeah, don't have that representation, how can you, like, let's say, see yourself in academia or how can you get the support from uh, people that look like you that might have the same experiences? So if there's no representation, how can you really support Latinx students at U of T? I completely agree with what you're saying. And for me, it's been the experience that if I don't look into the specific programs, I'm not going to get any of those inclusive perspectives. Like all of the uh, big programs um, around U of T, like they're all like Eurocentric perspectives. It's kind of uh, more work for us as Latinas because we're, we do not only choose the course that we like with the syllabus that we like, but we have to go an extra step. Okay, if they talk about Latin America, are they going to continue with this Eurocentric perspective? Are they going to uh, perpetuate stereotypes? And as being the ones, oh, like every time that they say something, uh, telling them that it's not that way. I think we've talked a lot, a lot about this. It's like constant double check and double work for us to really uh, make sure that we're, we're getting a comprehensive and inclusive education. And if we do not do that extra work, and and I refer also to, to the girls that are in STEM, it seems like as women, they also undermine our, our possibilities in any academia uh, perspective. And furthermore, as Latinas as well, as you talk, it's all of these perceptions that, oh, we come from developing countries. Oh, we, we didn't get uh, the, the best education to be in this place right now and to have the knowledge to, re to say to the professor, oh, it's not this way. And maybe students laugh sometimes when you say something. So I do feel that it's double work all the time. And for me, it's been kind of exhausting, to be honest. It is kind of exhausting. I used to try and look up what what was going on in Latin America during the period that we were studying in school. But eventually I gave up because I have too much coursework to also add on, like reading up on things that are not being covered and will not be on an exam or an essay. And I tried adding a minor in Latin American studies for that reason, but I don't think I'll be able to finish that. Anyways, um, and yeah, it's kind of like a finding a unicorn when you find a Latin American professor outside of yeah. the department or even a Latin American student. Like I have this bad habit of whenever I find a Latin American student or just like a Portuguese sounding name even, I try to befriend them and they're taken back a little bit because they're like, why do you want to be my friend? We just met. It's like, because you're like me. <laughs> it's gotten better recently. But anyways, that's me as well. 
and completely the same. Yeah, it's um, it's hard. There's no representation. There's these uh, Eurocentric approaches that our professors use. At least I'm t I've taken a couple of history classes, and whenever we talk about Latin America, it's always about banana wars and countries that produce and coffee, drug, cotton, drug wars and, as well. Yeah, the debt crisis. Yeah, and Venezuela, and that's it. So there's, they don't even, because it would be so great if they invited a professor from Latin America that is teaching at the Latin American University to talk about their research about, let's say, the dictatorship in Chile or Argentina or what's happening in Bolivia and the political crisis in Ecuador. I don't know, like, it's not that we don't have professors, just that I do think that sometimes U of T and the people that work for U of T don't go beyond what they usually do. And that's that's where like students from Latin America or that are, that are students that are familiar um, with the region, they will have to explain themselves all the time, trying to correct maybe the professors or your, or your peers, trying to make some justice to the region. But it's hard, it's exhausting, as Andrea said. And that also takes a, a huge toll on our mental health. So having that representation, as we've talked, really matters. Now I, I want to talk about, I, I know that we talked a little bit about these at the beginning, but our experiences as when we are in Canada versus when we are in Toronto, the cultural aspects that we bring with us and how we celebrate our culture, culture how the different things about Latin America influences how we get to know other students, how we interact with people in Canada. So feel free to share your your thoughts on this? Yeah, so one of the, I think, mo most shocking things that happened to me last year because of the pandemic, I had to come uh, to Peru and I, I haven't been able to go back. And definitely my first year at university was so important on creating a woman and a Latinx identity. As we've mentioned before, many of us didn't consider ourselves maybe Latinas or from the Latinx community until uh, going abroad. So for me, it was a kind of, putting myself in understanding that I have a voice as a woman, I have a voice as a Latinx a member of the community. But when I came back to Peru, I suddenly re restricted myself because it was so normalized for me to sometimes not stand up. And for me, it's kind of been a transition of understanding who I am as a woman, who I am as a person, and, and, and trying to get rid of those normalizations that are even within my household, with friends, with relationships, and... So yeah, for me, it was very shocking. It was kind of, in Canada, I can act a certain way. And when I come back, I've kind of undo, undone everything that I had progressed maybe in Canada because sometimes, maybe because people didn't know much about Peru or the Latinx community. It was also kind of a, a way for, for me to create this more liberating identity. But yeah, for me, it's been it's been hard. It's been so, so many months trying to form this, like, activist maybe identity and then coming back and saying oh should I say this in front of my grandparents should I say this in front of a white man or a man that is older than me should I cover more myself even though it's summer so it's it's been like shocking I I still still struggle a lot when to be myself or when to be a restricted woman in Latin America that's actually so interesting I had the opposite experience coming to Canada and I think it's actually very very interesting 
that we had the opposite experience. Like in high school, I used to be known for being militant and like activists and feminism and like take no BS from no man and like stand up, speak up. And then I got here and I was by myself and I was very intimidated by, you know, a new culture and feeling very out of place. I felt like I was kind of in denial of the side of myself. I would speak up less and be more quote unquote generous towards people who are still learning about Latin America and learning about feminism because maybe they didn't have the time to catch up yet. And I just made so many excuses for so many people that didn't deserve them. And I didn't call them out back then. And now I feel more confident and now I feel more, you know, comfortable in the place that I'm at, that I can't actually point out to things that you know, people shouldn't be saying or doing. I feel like I can finally go back to being the feminist in the group. Yeah, I think um, mine was more similar to Andrea. Like when I came here, I felt like I was a little bit more liberated. And I think I was, I, I was, I had the opportunity to learn more about like what it means to be a woman. And I had more space to like use my voice and be like, yeah, I'm a woman in STEM. Like, I felt like that was more normal and that I didn't have to try as much in that sense. And then going back to Mexico, like me trying to talk about like feminist, like feminism in general and things like that. And then seeing like my family just like gaslighting me all the time being like, oh, like you're so like radical or you're so like, you know, young people like these days you don't put up with anything. And I was like, no, it's like the thing is like, now I've had the retrospective, like I've had the space to take a step back and look at like our culture and be like this, like this machismo culture is literally killing us. And you're just putting up with it because it's culture, but culture does not mean that it's right. And so I think going back home sometimes can be exhausting because then like all my thoughts are like stopped all the time. And I, it got to the point where it was like, am I the one doing something wrong? Like, am I really just like a radical or something? But it's not. It's just, there's just such a difference um, in the the way that we're allowed to, to talk and voice our opinions as women in Latin America compared to here. That is true. Uh, I feel what you say so much. Uh, this time, because of COVID, um, I have to go back to Ecuador as well uh, last September. So I lived with my parents uh, all the time, but uh, all these four months. But even previously, when I just went to visit uh, to my uh, to my parents in Ecuador for maybe two weeks, uh, I I wanted to talk about uh, not exactly feminism, but uh, to call out uh, those actions or the, those comments that I that I know are wrong, and it's not okay to say that. It's not okay to refer to women like that inside my house and also outside with my friends or uh, family outside and it's the same like they started to to argue with you and you started to think like i don't want to be the person like starting the the discussion and the argument in my family at every uh, dinner and so i just want to have fun with my family and visit them and uh, I have peace with them, but at the same time, I cannot uh, say anything if someone says a, a sexist comment or if they are um, talking about women or about um, 
different uh, topics that I know it's, it's not okay to say that. Um, so it's it's hard. And, and I remember this time that I spent with my parents at the end, they use, they have a nickname for me, uh, which was like, um, it was not a nickname, but it was uh, that they say why I always ask why. Uh, so they were always saying that you are the one who always asks uh, why. And it's true. Uh, at the beginning, I was like, <laughs> you can say whatever you want. But then I, I felt like it's I like that if they want to call me like that, that's fine. Because I like that I, I, I'm not going to uh, like to to not say anything if I hear a res, uh, racism or discrimination and uh, gender based discrimination uh, comment or action. Uh, uh, I want to tolerate that. If I if I'm going to ask why are you doing this or why are you saying that, if, if and if they want to call me something, <laughs> that's fine. I just wanted to say it so they can start to think about it and, and be more conscious of what they're doing and what they're saying. That reminds me of a great song by Fiona Apple, "Kick Me Under the Table." Really good song. Really recommend. Anyways, sorry. Thank you. <laughs> I, I really like what you said, Anna. I think that asking why is so powerful, like questioning our culture. And that goes back to what Danae was saying about uh, what culture means for us. And not because it's culture or tradition doesn't mean that we cannot change that or that we cannot question those entities. And that goes back to like history and the legacy of colonialism, the establishment of patriarchal institutions. Um, gender-based violence and and micromachismos that we see within our uh, institutions. So asking why, I think, is key for us to understand where and what we can do to change our situation. And I think that also speaks a lot about our, or the differences in the agendas, the feminist agendas in Canada or North America versus the ones being um, conducted in Latin America. I think that we we do celebrate and we do conduct feminism in different ways so i was wondering what are the differences between the feminist uh, movements and the feminist work that is being done in in canada versus the ones that we see in latin america i think that the main difference is i mean we need to understand that women experience in the both countries are completely different and i think it's all about intersectionality um i'm also going to refer indigenous women in Canada definitely have much more repression and oppression than a white woman in Canada. And, and I think that it's important to understand as well how these women uh, in, in Canada can uh, explore feminism. But I mean, what I've seen personally at university is this girl boss mentality, as well as all, all of the issues around capitalism, which is kind of weird because it's all about like equal pay, like more representation maybe in the student board. But I mean, we've talked about this before in Latin America, the sense of, of feminism, it's more about like a survival movement. I mean, I'm, I'm just gonna refer to, to Peru this year, like last year, 2020, the first year of the COVID-19, more than 11,000 women disappeared. So I think that that's, that, that uh, figure it's, if, if we add all of the countries in Latin America, I think it represents how we're, we're fighting constantly for survival, for not disappearing, and for not being raped, for not being killed because of our gender. And that is very prominent in Latin America. And I'm sure that that also resonates a lot with minorities in Canada. 
and, and we should also acknowledge that. I think feminism, it's all about intersectionality. Yeah, I definitely agree with this, you know, crucial difference in how we approach feminism. And that's obviously not to say that, you know, Canadian women are not being killed because they are. Um, we have, you know, that van attack in Toronto not too long ago. We had the Montreal Polytechnique that's remembered every year. We have the missing Indigenous women that's a running problem. And there are groups advocating for those issues. And, you know, there are more militant groups that talk about femicide and domestic violence. But the feminism that I also came across in university is very geared towards this competitive mentality of, you know, women are in competition with men and we want to get to where they are. And, you know, we want equal pay. We want to be CEOs. We want to be on the table, which is valid. But it's very different than the feminism that we come across when we're younger in Latin America, where it is, where it is basically, please stop killing us. And we have to fight against being killed, basically killing, um, fighting for survival. Yeah, I think um, like there is a big difference between here and and uh, like Latin America. And I remember like this time last year, it was when there was a Paro Nacional in Mexico where women just stayed all at home. And I remember seeing the the pictures of the um, protests on March 8th and just seeing all those women outside. Like for me, Women's International Day was like a sad day almost. Like it was hurtful because we are hurting every day because um, like last year only, there were 3,723 women that were violently killed in Mexico. And those are only the numbers that were reported. And there's so many more missing. And so when I think feminism, I really think like anger almost and um, like sadness and just exhaustion. And I, I think that's really different here because like there's obviously a lot of different privileges. But there's also like, as you said, like the indigenous women, like they're, I think six times more likely to be killed here than non-indigenous women. And I think that's something that um, has to have more like um, attention in Canada because like gender violence is real everywhere. Um, so yeah, that's just like the main difference, like where it comes from, like emotionally feminism here compared to Latin America. Um, I agree, and I also think that here in Canada, even to talk about feminism is much more open than it's in Latin America, um, around your friends, around your family, or like uh, socially speaking, it's much more common and open to to talk about feminism, to talk about what it's uh, what it's like women's experiences. Uh, which might be more related, as you said, like to more uh, workplaces, to gender-based discrimination in different contexts, uh, and even violence, of course, it, it's still happening. But I feel like here in Canada, there are more already established uh, or, yeah, already established laws that will protect women from uh, harassment, violence, even if still happening. Uh, one example that I thought that, for example, um, in the University of Toronto, if uh, there happens to be a harassment uh, uh, event from a professor to a student, 
I think it will be really a huge deal. Like if the if the women will go and demand the professor and sue them like for what he he did and like the university. Uh, I think it will be like a a, a huge deal for the university. Um, uh, of course, for the professor, he wouldn't be um, teaching anymore. But then, if we compare to what is going what what is going on in Ecuador in different uh, places in Latin America, even if you sue the professor, even if you say he harassed me, even if you have a video or a photo of, of him uh, harassing you, they wouldn't do anything. Uh, uh, you go to the police, you go to the university, to uh, different resources, and they will say like, okay, we'll try to do it. If you go to the media, so they can uh, help you, and it's just becomes a, a, like a continuous fight that you feel like it's not gonna end if, if you feel the system against you, the, the legal system against you. Yeah, like they start blaming your, your uh, what you're wearing. Here in Peru, there was a huge case uh, about um, a violence and that because a woman was wearing a red um, panty, or I'm not, sure, not sure how to say it in English, but um, that justified the, the, the violation. Like if, if their underwear was a cer certain color or was um, a certain material, that justified the violation. And I mean, just to, to add to what Anna was saying, it's so much difficult, I think, because of this machismo culture to start talking and have open conversations about uh, gender-based violence in Latin America. I mean, for example, right now in Peru, we are... In, in April, we're gonna have elections. And one of the vice presidents that is running for, for this political party, they just found a video saying, if as a woman, you don't center your life in in raising kids and, and you center your life in like the economics stuff or being independent, you are a terrorist. You're gonna be a, a terrorist <laughs> and and you're making the world horrible. and. I mean, what type, and, uh, it, and the most scary thing is that a lot of people support that. So it is, it is kind of just, I don't know, for me, it was very uh, shocking to have that kind of representation. Yeah, I just found out I'm a terrorist. That's crazy. Um, thanks we for letting are. me know, Mr. I don't know his name, but Mr. Peruvian politician. Uh, I just wanted to touch back on something Anna, the other Anna, not me, brought up, which is, how much easier it is to bring up feminism in Canada and, you know, the quote-unquote agenda. But from my experience in within political science, it was a bit of a shock because I'm used to the stereotype that humanities and social, social sciences are naturally leftists and progressives and they know feminism and they're, you know, they are willing to talk about it. They know what's going on. And then Within U of T, it seems that political science is a bit more conservative than I was expecting. And I find that it can be a bit dismissive sometimes when you bring up uh, feminist issues or critiques or even marginalized, because to them, it seems that they got it. They know, they know gender-based violence is a thing. They know gender-based analysis is a tool um, women have access to abortions in Canada and, you know, 50-50 cabinet in 2015, um, gender balanced cabinet in 2015. So it's almost like, okay, we get it, but like, you don't have to be that extreme. We're doing a good job. Yeah. So it's basically like, 
we don't need your criticism. We don't need your input. You're just a social justice warrior. Uh, you're being too emotional or too extreme. Yeah, I feel that so much like here in Canada where they'd be like, yeah, like feminism, like we know all about this, like we know about consent, it's fine. But then like, like I think I've experienced as many like issues here as I have like in Mexico where like men will not respect their choices, men will not respect their bodies. They will do very sexist comments and just like sexualize us, especially as Latinas. Like they'll be like, oh, you're Latina. Like that is so hot. And like, they'll just pretend that like, that is like something for their desire. And just simple things like the makeup you wear, like will determine how they will treat you. How you talk will determine how they treat you, the clothes you're wearing. And so I think it's very like, kind of like a, like an image that they portray, but there is still so much work to do, especially with like rape myths. Those, like that's a huge problem here. Like most cases are not even believed by police officers of women that have even the courage to go talk to somebody and speak about it. And um, yeah, it's just, it's funny to see how they think it's like, everything's well here when it's just, a perception, a false perception of things. Yeah, I I do think that, as you've mentioned, like there's a difference between the origins of feminism in Latin America and the feminisms in, in Canada, and also acknowledging the multiple levels of oppression that many women face in Canada. So it's not like Canada is the paradise and that's what we should look for coming from Latin America, because there are two different agendas, there are two different contexts that we cannot really apply it's not a one-size-fits-all type of approach. Um, and I think that involves a lot of work from, from us, uh, but also from the institutions that we're part of. So having access to resources at the university, in the city of Toronto, in Canada, in our countries, um, trusting, at least in Latin America, in Ecuador, trusting our justice system is something that we need to do because we just don't trust our institutions. So uh, building that... Uh, sense of trust and sense of that no matter what happens that like you're going to get the support and you're going to have justice that's something that we need to work uh, towards and I think that also brings me to, to this question that I wanted to ask you so what are some of the resources that you've, you've got access as a Latina to empower yourself to support other women to get to know other women in STEM to get to know other women in human science at, social sciences and humanities and other resources that you've had access in Toronto to help you become the person that you want to be. I think that the most important and sometimes the hardest thing as Latinas and women is to understand that we're not alone. And for me, it was, it was amazing to find this Latinx community not only because I could share my, my culture with them and they could acknowledge the importance of that culture without sex sometimes, because we need to recognize that within our community, there's also a lot of, of sexist type of relationship, but understanding that I'm not alone, that I could have these types of conversations as the one that, that we're having today, uh, understanding as well, and maybe opening my mind that other cultures also face different types of, 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 of racism and oppressions uh, towards women and that that was very eye-opening to me and um, this is such a global problem and 
It is just trying to get the right people around you. I think that understanding who you are, understanding your identity and trying to find people that relate to, to those same experiences for me was great. I mean, OLAS is one of the organizations that really helped me understand how can, can I embrace uh, being a woman and being a, a Latina at the University of Toronto. Yeah, I think it definitely helps to overcome or it helped me overcome my initial denial of, oh, Canada is not that bad. Like, I'm not saying Canada is bad, but, you know, the making excuses for, you know, the fault, the problems that I faced as a Latina woman. Uh, I think meeting other Latinas and having someone else complain about the same things as you makes you realize that, no, you're not crazy. You're not exaggerating those things exist they happen and you know there is support for you uh, there is a community that can support you and just one very specific resource that i found during my undergrad is the hassle-free clinic which i preach about to all my female friends which is a great way to access reproductive rights in canada and support they do everything from contraception to advising to you know if you need an abortion, it's a safe procedure here and anyone has access to it. You don't have to be a citizen. You don't have to be a permanent resident. That's so good. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, I think um, for me, it was getting involved with like or, like clubs and um, just initiatives that speak to me personally. So like the most important one so far for me has been Scientista, which is um, a student-led club at UFT that tries to I really promote the voices of women or people who identify as women in STEM. And I think what I like most is that talking to all these people, like we really focus a lot on like all their failures and showing like that we all go through this, but that in the end, like if we really believe in ourselves and we find the right people to support us, like you can make it and like nobody else can tell you what you have to do or what you can do. Like, you can do it. And also just trying to find people that um, are open to like hearing about your culture, about who you are and your experiences and sharing small parts of your culture. Like for me, it's like doing things like um, Dia de los Muertos with people that I really care about and just finding those little like Latinx communities around Toronto. Like that just like helped me a lot to whenever like in my home where I feel like part of me is fading. I think those are just little things that make a big difference. Uh, for me, I think I've been uh, lucky, especially at the beginning of my uh, years of study, that I had Latinas around me that studied the same as what I was I was studying. Uh, but I would love to join one of the the STEM women in STEM uh, clubs, and I highly recommend for any person studying STEM or uh, in any science that they are studying trying to join. Um, a women's focus club of that that would be really helpful to just listen to the experience of other people that is not always the same or it could be the same as yours uh, it's very helpful that's why I also wanted to join all us and, and and I got to know some people from last year I could feel that a community that I never before did in, in at U of T that uh, that do that you have a space at U of T that is uh, for you. And I really like it. So I think that's something that uh, can really help uh, and like 
boost your experience at U of T and like to take the most that you can. And also show, uh, show a bit of yourself, of your culture. That's what we want to do and like to speak up for ourselves and for our, our countries as well. Amazing. Before we wrap up this episode, I have a final question. Um, and that is, what advice will you give to your younger self? In three, like a small sentence, what advice would you give to your younger self? We're all just staring at each other and laughing like <laughs> so many, so many pieces of advice. Ooh, yeah. But let's say there's a first year Latinx student listening to the podcast and they are going through what Andrea uh, shared with us today with and what we also express about not knowing how to deal with microaggressions and not knowing how to celebrate and empower, uh, like feel empowered. Uh, oh, I got one. Try to fit it. Go ahead. Go for it. Okay, so advice for first year Anna, don't second guess yourself. Just speak your mind. If you're wrong, you figure it out, but don't keep it to yourself. Just, you know, process that thought. That's a good one. I think mine would be, um, Andrea, it's okay to feel lost. It's okay. Things are gonna, you're gonna find your way, you're gonna find yourself, and you're gonna find your people. I think um, what I would say is your voice matters and you're enough, and just be true to yourself. Um, I'll say uh, something similar to what Anna said, but um, say what you have, say your opinion, say what you have in mind. It doesn't matter if you have. If you make a mistake in English, if you make a mistake of uh, how you uh, made a sentence, it's fine. Uh, what people want and what should be beneficial for you is not the way you say, but what you say. Love that. I'll say that uh, we've been silenced for too long, so there's no need to give them that, give our oppressors that silence. So speak up and take all that space because your ancestors weren't able to be there and to have that space. Yeah, Don't so, make room for them. They have yeah. it. <laughs> uh, with that, yeah. I would like to thank you for listening to El Cafecito podcast. We hope you enjoy our conversations about our experiences as Latinas in Toronto. Check out our website, um, podcastelcafecito.ca for more information and to find our and access our blog. And thank you all for coming and see you next time. Gracias. Thank you. Gracias. Obrigada.